want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 150. Psalm 150, it's the final psalm in that book. And I want us to read this today before we do anything else. Now, while you're turning there, I want to say how thankful I am that you're here uh, in person and thankful that you're watching us uh, online. I hope you've enjoyed this series. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I hope you've been challenged by it as well. Uh, the Christian life, it's so much more than just uh, coming to church. It's so much more than just uh, reading your Bible. And I don't want you to misunderstand me because I would never uh, in any way downplay the importance of those things. But the life that God wants us to live, it, it's more than just doing those things. It's more than just going through those motions. It's a life full of challenge, full of opportunity. And as we'll see here today, it's a life that should be full of celebration. As we do each week, I ask, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? I'm going to read the entire psalm. It's very short. You can follow along while I read aloud. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with a lyre and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everyone that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. I always ask for God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Our theme, our rhythm, our discipline today is celebration. And that might sound like an odd thing to you, especially the idea of celebration as a discipline. Uh, it's the only, uh, I don't know, maybe you're, here today, maybe you're here today and the only thing you're celebrating is the fact that this series is over. I never put that past anyone. Uh, I try not to think that way, but you just never know. Uh, we're going to spend some time uh, talking about celebration today. And uh, in doing that, what we're going to have the chance to do is talk about things closely associated with celebration as well. Things like joy, things like praise, uh, even something like happiness. In the book that we have alluded to uh, time and again in this series, Celebration of Discipline, uh, the author of that book, Richard Foster, he writes this about our topic today. He says, celebration is central to all the spiritual disciplines. Without a joyful spirit of festivity, the disciplines become dull, death-breathing tools in the hands of modern Pharisees. Now, those are strong words. But the truth is, they speak to this reality that all of us have to fight against as believers. And it's the reality that all of the rhythms, all of the disciplines that we've been talking about over the past several weeks, they have the power, yes, to draw us closer to God, but they also have the power to push us away from him. And do we practice these disciplines like Pharisees? Do we keep score? Do we look around us and judge the other people that we have relationships with and you know, do all that we can to make sure that we're always on top of the pile? Or do we live our lives like followers, not forced to do these things, but freely choosing out of the sheer joy that comes from doing anything that glorifies God and brings us closer to him? Often the difference between a Pharisee and a follower, it's not 
what you do, but how you do it. You know, do you submit to God, for example, like a prisoner of war submits to a victorious army? Yeah, you're going to be obedient. You're going to do whatever they say, but you're going to be full of bitterness and shame at your defeat. Or do you submit like a child who trusts in the love and the goodness of his father? What about confession? Do you confess through gritted teeth only the things that you can't find some kind of justification for? Or do you confess all that you are, pouring out everything inside of you openly because you understand that you can never be cured of what you do not confess? Now listen, those are just two examples from the things that we've talked about over the course of this series. But each of the disciplines, each of the rhythms, they offer us a fork in the road. And it's not just as simple as, you know, will we do them or will we not do them? But it's how, how we will do them. Listen, God cares about our actions. He cares about the things that we choose to do. Don't ever think that what you do doesn't matter because it's not true. Everything that you do matters. But God also cares about our hearts. And what I believe that means most of the time is how we do things. What attitude, what spirit do we have when we do things? I have found over the just course of my time in ministry, that this is something that I tend to talk about a lot whenever I get the opportunity to. I think, to be honest, it's just because I know that in my own life I have a tendency to focus a lot more on my actions than my attitude. But at the same time, I think that's true for a lot of people. And I say that simply because uh, we find it so much easier to control the things that we physically do than the emotions that we feel. And one of the things, one of the things that celebration does is it gives us strength. And I believe that's something we see in Scripture, and I believe that's something we're going to see in our time together today. And because it gives us strength, because it gives us emotional strength, it allows us to have much more control over how we do something than we might initially think. And that's important because we have to always remember that God cares a great deal about the state of our hearts. They matter to God. Uh, If you came to Saturday night service the last time I preached, uh, then you may or may not know that I struggled greatly with something that we try to repeat each week in this series. And it's this reality that spiritual disciplines are spiritual practices that lead to spiritual transformation. Maybe you didn't realize that. Uh, I said it completely wrong. I got a wonderful text message from our senior pastor after that service. Um, So I wanted to make sure and get it right today for everyone who is here. And while that transformation that I believe we all experience when we participate in these spiritual disciplines, while that transformation is going to be different for everyone, since we all have different strengths and weaknesses and we all Uh, grow or experience transformation at different speeds, I do think there should be a common underlying element of celebration, of joy, joy, that we all share, that we all experience, regardless of where and how other areas of our lives are being transformed. One One more quote from the author Richard Foster before we move on. 
Joy is the end result of the spiritual disciplines functioning in our lives. God brings about the transformation of our lives through the disciplines, and we will not know genuine joy until there is a transforming work within us. Now, I'm sure many of you uh, feel the same way that I do about this. For some people, uh, for some people, celebration, joy, happiness, they just seem to come naturally. And for those of us who are not wired that way, and I mean this with all the love in my heart, uh, we can't stand that. It doesn't make sense to us. I'm not, uh, not trying to be too hard, just trying to be honest. Sometimes it's a little bit easier than others to deal with it. It depends on the day. But, you know, the truth is some people uh, might come and hear that we're talking about celebration this weekend at church, and they would think, yes, yes, finally, this is what we need, this is what I want, this is what I love. And other people, other people would come and they would hear that we're talking about celebration, and they would think, what, why, what's there to celebrate? I mean, really, after all the things that we have gone through and all the things that have happened in our world and are still happening in our world, you're going to stand up and tell me that we should celebrate? But here's the deal. Regardless of where you are on the spectrum of, you know, it coming more naturally or not, I want you to know that the celebration that we see in the Bible and the type of joy that is associated with that celebration, it's not shallow It's not circumstantial, and it's not just a distraction. That means that it's not just something uh, that can come into our lives to take our minds off of the world around us. And that's what so many people like to do. They just want to be distracted. I just want to not think about things for a little bit. That's not what we're talking about. It also also means um, that, uh, sorry, It's not just there. It's not just there when things go our way. It's not circumstantial. That's what I mean when I say that. It's not only there when things go our way. We don't just celebrate when we get good news. We can celebrate all the time. And it's not there in just a kind of lighthearted, nice way where, yeah, it's fun, it's easy, but we know it's not going to last. The truth is what we see in Scripture is something that is substantial, Something that has weight and something that has the power to root itself into our hearts so that it is a fundamental part of who we are. And the reality is when that happens, when celebration, when joy does this, it gives us strength, not just to handle the sadness and darkness in our world, but to make sure that we can overcome them as well. Uh, Romans 8 has some great, and familiar words that I want to share with you today. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. This is just one example from Scripture of why we can celebrate. Paul writes, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the Scriptures say, For your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord.
Those are not weak words. They're not shallow. They're not part of a sandy foundation that cannot hold the weight of life in this world. Those words remind us, or they should remind us, that no matter what our circumstances are, we can and should live lives with an undercurrent of celebration and joy coursing through them, no matter what we're dealing with. Now, does this mean that we'll never be sad again? No, at least not in this life. Does it mean that we'll never feel sorrow again? No. What God has for us is not... It's not a denial of the reality of life. I mean, Jesus himself in Isaiah 53 is described as a man who was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. The discipline of celebration is a choice. It's a choice to set our mind, our heart, our identity on Jesus. And when we do that, We can feel and experience every single thing that life in this world has to offer, but at the same time, we will not be ground down by those things. So many people experience that. It's just, it's a grinding pressure over time, and it changes them. We'll be more like what we read about in 2 Corinthians The people who are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. That's resilience. That's strength. It's what happens when we build our lives, when we build our identity on the solid rock of Jesus. And when that happens, the rains fall and the waters rise and we stand firm. We stand firm. You see, the difference between a person who is joyful and one who's not, the the difference between a person who can celebrate and one who can't, it's not their circumstances, it's their identity. It's not their circumstances, it's their identity. And if you're here today or you're watching this, and this is, you know, something that you tell yourself, I just can't do this. I'm not a a joyful person. I'm not a happy person. I look at my life and, you know, the truth is I don't have a reason to celebrate. What I would challenge you to do, no matter where you are, is to to take an honest look at your life and find out what your identity truly is. Find out what you are truly living for. See, because the reality is, this is what so many people either don't realize or they don't want to admit, is that if you can't celebrate, it's because you have something else other than God that you have built your life on. You have an idol. You have an idol. You have something else that you're looking to for a reason to celebrate. And because of that, it's overshadowing what Jesus has done for you. And so you have to ask yourself, what are you really living for? What am I really living for? Think of it like this. What has to happen in your life in order for you to celebrate? What has to happen in your life in order for you to feel joy and praise and happiness? Maybe it revolves around your job. 
You know, when I get the promotion, when I can retire, then I'll be able to celebrate. Then I'll finally be happy. Maybe it revolves around your bank account. I mean, that's the oldest, the oldest illustration there is. If I just had this much money, then I'd be happy. If I just had this much, it would be enough, and I would be able to celebrate. Maybe it's your relationship. You want a spouse. You want a family. If I could just get married, if we could just have kids, then, then I would be able to celebrate. Maybe it's politics. I can't celebrate while this person's in charge, or I can't celebrate until this person gets elected. And the truth is, for many people, it's not even something that substantial. Maybe it's just, you know, your sports team. If they could just win once, or if they could just win one more time, then I could finally rest in peace. Then I could celebrate. Then I could be happy. Listen, there are so many more illustrations, so many more things that I could throw out there. But the truth is, all of these things, however important or shallow we may think that they are, they are all things that people, even if they don't realize it, build their lives on. And when this is what a person builds his life on, he's not like a firm home that withstands the waves crashing against it. Honestly, honestly, he's more like the waves, back and forth, hot and cold, up and down, all the time. And when this is the way that we build our lives, this is the way that we live our lives, we trick ourselves. We trick ourselves into thinking that this is just how life is. It can't be any other way. Life is full of things outside of our control. Circumstances change and there's nothing that we can do about it. And listen, the temptation, I understand it. The temptation is for you to say, that is how life is. Yeah, but it's not the whole truth. It's not all of life. It's not the whole truth because we don't have to be pushed and pulled by the tide of circumstances around us. We don't have to let those things, whatever they are for you, whatever they are for you, become our identity, our source of hope. We don't have to give so much weight to something in our world that it overshadows our ability to celebrate the grace of God in our lives. The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk captures this truth beautifully for us when he writes, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer able to tread upon the heights. That is celebration no matter the circumstances. This is, this is rejoicing. This is joy. And it can be an active participant in every part of our lives, yours and mine. And the prophet, he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. That's why he can celebrate. So the question I ask you is, what is your strength? What is your strength? What is your identity? 
It may not be something bad. It may not be something sinful at all. It may not be anything like that. But the truth is, if it is not found in Jesus, then you won't be able to celebrate all the time. Only time to time. Only when things go your way. But I want you to know today, I really want you to know today that no matter where you are or what you think about this, because some people, I know this, some people, they live life and they think, yeah, you know what, it's just not for me. I've tried to be happy. I've tried to be positive. I've tried to to look at the bright side of things and to see the silver lining all around me that some people claim is there. I've tried and it didn't work. Some people feel that way. Listen, I want you to to know that no matter where you are or what you think about this, it is possible, it is possible for you to live a life full of joy, full of praise, full of celebration. More than just circumstantial, more than just when things go your way. We open our time together by reading Psalm 150. I want to go back there uh, just for a bit before we close because, listen, I I hope you realize this. If you don't, I'm telling you right now. It is no small thing that the final psalm in this book is a psalm of praise. In fact, the last five psalms, they're all psalms of praise. And when you read through the book of Psalms, one of the things that so many people love, I know, I know it's one of the things that I love about it because I love reading the Psalms. One of the things that people love is, is the variety, the variety that we see. And what I mean by that is that there are Psalms much like the one that we just read where they are just powerfully, simply praising God. Where that's more or less all there is going on. But at the same time, there are others that resonate with us in all the different facets of life that we experience. We read psalms full of sadness, full of sorrow. We read about regret and guilt. We read words of anger and confusion. We read words of repentance. But it is significant that the last words we read are words of praise and celebration. You see, this is where it all leads for Christians. It all leads to praise. It all leads to celebration. And it's important for us to recognize this as a truth, the truth of God's word. To recognize that no matter the difficulties of life and the cynicism of our current time, we can still live lives filled with praise and joy. Live lives filled with celebration. And the key to us being able to do this is to recognize that we always have, we always have something to celebrate and that celebration is a choice. Celebration is a choice. We tend to think of celebration as something that happens outside of our control. This is why we let circumstances dictate when and and how much and why we celebrate. We celebrate good news, we celebrate birthdays, we celebrate promotions, we celebrate victories, we celebrate things of that nature. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that, not even a little bit. The problem comes when this is all that we celebrate. Because if this is all we celebrate, then our view is too narrow, our celebrations are too limited, and the benefits they provide us are too fleeting. If you look back at Psalm 
150, which is what we're going to do in just a moment, we see that it gives us a, a perfect outline for celebration because it answers some of the key questions that we can ask regarding this discipline. And so we're just going to real quickly work our way through verse by verse through the rest of this psalm or through this entire psalm. Verse 1, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heaven. Now, here's the deal. In order for us to truly appreciate it, we need to read these verses and think about it like the game show Jeopardy. And I say that because what we see, what we get first is the answer, and that allows us to ask the question. So, See, verse 1, it answers the question, where do we praise God? And I'm using praise and celebration interchangeably. We could say, where do we celebrate God? And the short answer is we praise God everywhere. We praise God everywhere, in his sanctuary, together here at church, part of our worship service. We praise God in his mighty heaven. The Hebrew word for heaven is a word that simply means expanse. All of creation, everywhere, inside and out, when we're together, when we're alone, we celebrate God no matter where we are. Verse 2, praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. This answers the question, why? Why do we praise him? And we're given two reasons. Two reasons. Verse 2 tells us that we praise God for what he has done, his mighty works. Then it tells us we praise God simply for who he is, his unequaled greatness. That's an important distinction. We don't just praise God when things go our way. We don't just praise God when we think he's given us the answer to prayer that we want. We praise God all the time because of who he is. Because of who he is. We praise God for everything he's done and everything that he is. Verses 3 through 5. This is the biggest section in this psalm. Praise him with the blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. The question is, how do we praise him? How do we praise him? And this is the way that I would answer it based on what we read here. We praise him in every way. Every way we can. We see this variety of instruments, this variety of, of sound. You know, you, you read this and you probably think if all of this is happening at the same time, it's probably not going uh, to be the most uh, uh, harmonic thing to hear. We praise him in every way that we can. It reminds me of, of what we see in 1 Corinthians. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We praise him in every way. Finally, verse 6. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. This shouldn't be a surprise. Who, who should praise him? Everyone. Everyone, all of us. All of us, no matter where we are. No matter how we feel right now. No matter what circumstances we're dealing with. Whether good or bad or anywhere in between. Everyone should praise God. And what we see in this psalm and just kind of continue to reiterate the point, is that this type of praise, this type of celebration, it cannot be circumstantial. We know, we know that there are too many times in life when things don't go our way. 
Too many times when we're caught off guard by conditions outside of our control. Too many times when the truth is we don't have any earthly reason to celebrate. And this is why celebration can be called a discipline. Because it is a choice that we make about how we live our lives. About the foundation that our lives are built on. If you're listening to this and you still, you still kind of balk at the idea that you have an idol in your life or something, anything that you put more of yourself into than God, then I just want you to think about this for a moment. I mean this with all sincerity. Is your life one of celebration and joy and happiness? Is that how you would describe your life? Is that how friends and family would describe you to others? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Listen, here's the deal. If we're here today and we believe that there's a God and we we believe in him and if we believe that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and, and if we believe that because of that we are now part of the family of God and one day we will spend all of eternity with him but we can only celebrate when this other thing happens whatever it is, then we see clearly where our hearts truly lie. What are you most afraid of? That reveals so much about where your hope, your identity lies. I want to close, not just our time together today, but uh, really the sermon series as a whole uh, by looking at a passage from the book of Romans. And you can turn there if you like. It's going to be uh, Romans 8, 28 through 30, but it's also going to be on the screen in just a moment. Uh, I remember years ago listening to or hearing a sermon by Pastor Tim Keller. Uh, when you're a pastor, you listen to other pastors preach sermons. At least that's what I do. I don't know how many of you spend time doing that, uh, but it's just what I do. And it really, it, it, it came back to my mind when I was putting this together and thinking about celebration and what it means and the importance of doing it outside of our circumstances. And what I remembered was this outline that he used. Uh, I'm going to share with you in just a moment, but I want to read our passage first. Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. He gave them his glory. Now I'm giving you a very uh, condensed version of what he spent an entire message talking about. But these are the points that he had. First, he said, our bad things will turn out for good. Romans 8, 28 we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. It doesn't say that we'll only experience good things. And it doesn't say that bad things are actually good things in disguise. That's important. It says that everything we experience, which means everything, good and bad, because of God's grace, will ultimately be used for good. Our bad things will turn out for good. Second, he said, our good things can never be lost. 
Well, how can our good things never be lost? It's because our good things are not found in our circumstances. They're not found in our circumstances. They're found in Jesus. Verse 29 says, we will become like his son. And if we truly, if we truly become like Jesus with our lives and our identity built on him, then no matter the circumstances of life, no matter the circumstances of life, no matter what we experience, the ups and downs, the wins and the losses, the highs and the lows, they can all come and go. But we will be like the house that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, built on a rock that does not crash. Finally, he said, the best things are yet to come. The best things are yet to come. And to be perfectly honest with you today, I don't feel like I need to describe this one too much. Romans 8, 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing, nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Why should, why should your life and my life be laced with an undercurrent of celebration all the time, no matter what? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Because of the gospel message that Jesus died in our place. Because of that, we can truly, honestly experience every single thing that this world has to offer. We don't just gloss over or trivialize the circumstances of life, but because of the gospel, we're not bound by them. They don't have control. They don't have ownership over us. This is because our lives are built on someone that will never let us down. Never. And if you're here or you're listening to this and you realize that you are, you're controlled by your circumstances. All I would say is to remind you, remind you that because of Jesus, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. You can be set free. You can be free from the things that you work for in order to give yourself meaning. You can be free from the things that have control over you so that you can have an identity, so that you can feel like you have value. All the things that weigh you down, all the things that weigh you down, you can be set free. And you can celebrate because you know that Jesus, Jesus didn't die just so that you could have new and better circumstances. Jesus died so that you could have a new and better life. That's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. He died so that you could have a new and better life no matter, no matter the circumstances. And the truth is, as simple as it may sound, it's still powerful because that is something that we can all celebrate. Would you pray? Pray with me. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the fact that we can always celebrate. Thank you that even when we don't feel like good things are going on around us, that doesn't have to determine the joy, the praise, the happiness even in our lives. You have given us so much more than anything this world has to offer. And because of that, we can truly, honestly joyfully praise you and celebrate all the time, no matter what. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.